So today we're in Matthew 5, beginning in verse 38. If you would stand with me to hear the reading of God's word, starting in verse 38, the word of God reads this way. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. And you may be seated and may God bless this reading and preaching of his word. Um, I had a buddy in college with a similar sense of humor to mine. And we used to like to play little pranks on each other when we were young men. And uh, I lived with a a bunch of roommates. He lived by himself uh, in this little farmhouse out in the country, actually just right outside of Yellow Springs, because this was back when I was in Dayton. And one evening, having nothing to do, I grabbed a handful of our mutual friends. I was actually a Young Life leader at the time, so if you know what Young Life is... um, Uh, it's where they have college volunteers working with high school students. This was a Young Life thing. So I grabbed some students. He was another Young Life leader. And we went to his house when he wasn't home um, uh, because I knew that uh, he he didn't leave his house unlocked. He lived by himself and lived in this remote place. And he was late working as a server at Applebee's. Uh, So while he worked, we snuck into his house with a, a big box of maxi pads. And we they, they're sticky, so we stuck them to every surface we could find in his house, stuck them to the walls, we stuck them to books on his bookshelf, uh, we even opened up his fridge and put them on onions and, and, and uh, his carton of milk and all that kind of stuff. Why did we do this? I don't know. I was 19 years old. Actually, I might have been a little bit older than that, but let's just say I was 19. And then we left, and we uh, waited for him to get home. But when he got home, you know, we were expected, we're like, hey, give us a call when you get home. You know, they've got a surprise waiting for you. And when he got home, he didn't laugh. Uh, in a very serious tone, he told us, you're going to regret that you ever did this. And he was right, because later that very same night, the very same night, I got a call at around one or two in the morning, and, and it was our friend, and he said, hey, Billy, you should go outside. And very somber, serious tone. And I, I half expect, I was afraid. Like I thought I was going to walk outside and there was going to be like some laser sight, you know, targeting in on me. But I, I went outside uh, to discover that my front lawn of the house I lived in with my roommates was, and this is in a neighborhood, by the way, uh, was covered in garbage. Someone had taken three or four full trash bags and like ripped them open and just dumped them out all over the lawn like some bizarro Santa Claus. Um, and it was, it was Halloween, so I had some jack-o'-lanterns. One of my jack-o'-lanterns had a dead fish in it, and I didn't even get it the worst. These poor high school kids who this guy was supposed to, he was their young life leader. One kid, uh, he visited all of us uh, that very same night, again, like a bizarro Santa Claus. And another guy had the windshield of his car completely covered, like 100% in maxi pads, which it's hard to get, get those off of glass. There was a dead fish put somewhere in his engine of his car, and used cat litter was poured out in his back seat because he'd left his car unlocked. Yeah, used. It was disgusting. Um, Swift 
and brutal retribution. You didn't think you were going to get this Sunday morning in a sermon, so, you know, forgive me, but this is what happened. Um, All of us determined that very night that we would never mess with Joe ever again. I mean, whatever he did worked. And that's a silly story of some college shenanigans, but it does illustrate a point. And the point is that we don't like to be hurt. Uh, We don't like evil to be perpetrated against us. We don't like to be the butt of the joke. Um, And we have all kinds of strategies for protecting ourselves from being hurt or making sure uh, that the people that hurt us will never hurt us again. Uh, But our strategies for dealing with the way that people hurt us or protecting ourselves from that might protect us in the short run, but in the long run, they don't improve our lives. Uh, they lead to broken relationships and isolation and, uh, and just more brokenness. Jesus is teaching in our passage today that there is a better way. And the main idea is this. This is just quoting from another place in scripture, but what Jesus is saying is don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And that's what he's saying here. And so what does that mean? We're going to look at three things as we unpack that. Enduring evil patient endurance, and then generous endurance. So first, enduring evil, patient endurance, and generous endurance. First, enduring evil. In order to do what Jesus is calling us to do here, to, uh, to in, uh, overcome evil with good, we actually have to acknowledge evil. We have to acknowledge that evil is real. Jesus first recognizes here an Old Testament command for how to deal with evil. He says in verse 38, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And that's been misunderstood as as it's been read over the years because it can can sound like God is commanding us to take vengeance. Uh, If someone pokes you in the eye, you've got to repay them in kind, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And that's been criticized. There's a famous Khalil Gibran quote where he says, an eye for an eye and the whole world would be blind. Um, But that's not the purpose of that command. God isn't commanding us to take retribution when he gives that in the Old Testament. He's limiting the amount of retribution that we can take. In that Old Testament passage Jesus is quoting, God is saying, an eye for an eye and no more, or a tooth for a tooth and no further. So in other words, it's not commanding us to take retribution, but it's limiting the amount of retribution we can take. When we try to pay others back for ways that they've hurt us or wrongs done to us, we are so prone to hit back harder, just a little bit harder. Um, Yale professor Miroslav Volf wrote, revenge abandons the principle of measure for measure and acting out of injured pride and untamed fear gives itself to punitive excess. That's why revenge is morally wrong. In its zeal to punish, it overindulgently takes from the offender more than due. That's often what we do when we try to pay back others is we just, you know, sometimes we intentionally, like my buddy Joe did, we hit back literally seven times harder so that they will never mess with me again. Sometimes, some of us have that strategy. Even if we don't do that, we often just take a little bit more than is due and it, and it perpetuates this cycle of revenge. And if you have kids, you see this literally every day. You know this very well. What starts as something so, and I'm talking multiple kids who live in the same household, uh, what starts as something so small 
very quickly escalates and gets out of control because each time the child pays the other back, they hit just a little bit harder, they scream a little bit louder, uh, they use harsher language, and the, the situation escalates to this, to something that is totally out of control, started so small. Um, because of this human tendency to multiply harm, to hit back just a little bit harder, God in the Old Testament puts a limit to how much retribution we can seek. The punishment must be equal to the crime. He says, an eye for an eye, and no further than that, a tooth for a tooth. But the way of Jesus is different even than that. Jesus says that when we are harmed, when his disciples are harmed, that we should not seek retribution at all. We shouldn't hit back at all. We shouldn't seek payback at all. He says in verse 39, I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, which means don't be hostile toward the one that's hostile to you. If someone's hostile to you, is evil to you, do not return that with hostility. If you are harmed, don't harm in return. But what I want to point out here in this point is that in doing this, Jesus actually acknowledges the reality of evil, which is a very important thing. He calls it evil. He says there are evil people who are going to do evil things to you. And then he gives examples of being hit, being struck, being sued, being coerced and controlled, all these kinds of things. And then he says, do not resist the one who is evil. This person is evil. They're doing something evil. Don't resist them. So here's just the first thing that I think we need to recognize. In calling us to overcome evil with good, Jesus is not calling us to deny evil. He's not calling us to deny the existence of evil. It's important for us to see that, that he's not calling us to be a doormat. Because some people will read this and say, well, Jesus, is, this is unrealistic. He's just calling us to let people walk all over us. But that's not the case. You let people walk all over you when people mistreat you, and you pretend like it doesn't hurt, or that it's not evil, it's okay, and we basically deny that anything wrong happened. That's what it means to be a doormat. Jesus is not asking us, he's not calling us to do that. And there's different ways that we do that. Some of us, when we are injured or offended by others, we just, we shove it down, we hide the pain, like the star of my favorite meme, Hide the Pain Herald. If you don't know that, Google it, that might be a um, millennial thing. Um, we pretend that everything is okay, no harm has been done, and you probably do this if you fear conflict and you would just rather go through the pain quietly and, and maybe pretend that it didn't hurt or that you're okay than go through further pain of actually hashing it out with someone and having conflict, and I can relate to that. You probably just want to keep the peace with everyone, um, and so you end up letting people mistreat you or be abusive toward you and you never speak up you never say hey this is wrong or this is hurting me or this is evil some of us have a really hard time doing that others of us however um, that's not the way that we do this others of us just get really tough and we just have a heart we harden ourselves and we pretend like you know what there's nothing you can do that can hurt me who do you think you are you're you're I actually, you know, I don't really care about you all that much. Um, I'm fine. I don't need anything from you. And we harden ourselves. It actually does hurt. We're pretending like it doesn't. And we harden ourselves against that person. We pull away from the relationship. Neither of those responses 
does anything productive or good. Um, they don't overcome evil. They don't uh, win relationships. They don't lead to a better relationship. They don't stop that person from perpetrating evil against others. It's not productive. Jesus calls us to something totally different. He calls us to the vulnerable place, first and foremost, of actually acknowledging evil and harm done, to have the vulnerability to speak up and to say, you know, what you did here is not right. Um, and I was really hurt by that. This, this, you could even say this was evil, but I'm not going to treat you that way. I'm not going to respond that way to you. When Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, he did not resist. Uh, he was not hostile toward his captors, although his disciples wanted to be. He said, put down the sword. He said, if I wanted to, I could summon a legion of angels, and, but that's not what I want to do. He didn't resist. He didn't fight back, but he did testify to their evil. Luke 22, starting in verse 52, he says to them, have you come out against uh, as a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you didn't lay hands on me. He says, look, you're, you're coming under the protection of night because you know this is wrong. And then he says, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. He testifies to their evil, even though he does not resist. Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it like this. He said, if I am assailed, I am not to condone or justify aggression. Patient endurance of evil does not mean a recognition of its rights. The disciple must realize this and bear witness to it as Jesus did, just because this is the only way evil can be met and overcome. So the first step in overcoming evil is that actually we do have to acknowledge it. We have to acknowledge it and call it what it is. But we have to do more than that. The second point, patient endurance. According to Jesus, the most effective way to overcome evil is not to fight back, it's not to resist it, but it's actually to receive it, to patiently endure it. Again, Jesus says in verse 39, he says, I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. When people are aggressive toward you, they expect to be met with resistance, especially if they know they're doing something wrong. They expect you to push back, fight back, um, they expect you will be aggressive in return, and really they have no idea what to do if you're not. If you, if you receive with patient endurance, it's very confusing to the aggressor. Again, Bonhoeffer says, the only way to overcome evil is to let it run itself to a standstill because it does not find the resistance it is looking for. Resistance merely creates further evil and adds fuel to the flames, but when evil meets no opposition and encounters no obstacles, but only patient endurance, its string is drawn, and at last it meets an opponent which is more than its match. Jesus goes on in verse 39. He says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. What does that mean? When someone hurts us, our nat your natural inclination is to respond in one of two ways. And some of this we've already mentioned, but either... Either you want to, you know, if someone were to slap you, either you want to hit them back and often hit back harder so that, they, so that they know not to mess with you again in the future. And this is, if you know the story of Lamech in Genesis 4, this is, this is as old as human history. Genesis 4, literally the, the, the first chapter after the fall of man. Uh, it shows us the children that come from the line of Cain, and we meet Lamech, who's the father of vengeance, and he's also the father of womanizing and polygamy. Um, 
He was the first to take two wives. That's what Genesis 4 tells us. That's what made him famous. Lamech took two wives. And then in Genesis 4, verse 23, it says, Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. Now, what he's saying there, he said, hey, a young man struck me. A young man offended me, and so I killed him. When I get hit, I'm going to hit back seven times harder. As a matter of fact, I'm going to hit back 77 times harder. And so we hit back. That's, that's one of our strategies if, if we get struck. Or maybe that's not you. Maybe, you're, maybe your strategy is you just want to withdraw from yourself or withdraw from them and protect yourself so that they can never hurt you again. So if someone hurts you in a relationship, you get cold, you close yourself off, you cut off communication, you cut off friendship. Often they, they may, may not even be aware of what you're doing and you're safe. They can never hurt you again. But both of those reactions just create further evil and end in broken relationships and isolation. They, they do nothing to overcome evil. Again, Jesus' way is different. Peter came to Jesus once and, and asked in Matthew 18, Lord, he, you know, you've been talking about this forgiveness stuff. Help me to understand the parameters of this. How often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And then Peter's like, I'm going to give him a really high number so that he's impressed with my patience. He says, as many as seven times, Jesus? So Peter's asking, Lord, what's the limit? How many times do I have to continue to open myself up uh, to being hurt again? And Jesus takes that very same idea from Lamech, who says, my vengeance is 77-fold. And he says this, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. The world's way of vengeance is 77-fold. And so Jesus says that we must be ready to forgive 77-fold. Our, our capacity for forgiveness must be um, enormous. Look again at verse 39. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. So not only is there a refusal to strike back, but there is a continued relationship. There's a willingness to continue to be in relationship such that there's an opportunity for us to be hurt again. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, you give them an opportunity to kiss this one, but there's a risk there because you might get slapped again. There's an opportunity to be hurt again. But evil can only ever be overcome through patient endurance. I don't know if you've ever heard the story of Daryl Davis. Daryl Davis is, he's an African-American man. He's in his, probably in his 60s today. He's a blues musician. But he is most famous for convincing upwards of 200 KKK members to take off their robes, to leave the Klan over the course of his life. And he does that through the patient endurance of evil. Um, he, the first guy that he ever converted, so to speak, he met at a bar. He was playing blues, and the guy sat down. And he said, hey, you know, I've never heard a black man play like that. That's Jerry, you know, you're playing like Jerry Lee Lewis. And he says, well, who do you think taught Jerry Lee Lewis how to play? And so he was, he, you know, initiated this relationship with him and then just started to get to know him. Um, and this is what he does. But he, he attends KKK rallies. He befriends some of these people, and he just asks them questions. He patiently 
you know, gets to know them and their worldview. He, um, he invites them for dinner. He builds a relationship with them. And over time, they begin to question their own beliefs. Over time, their belief system changes. And through a patient endurance of evil, he overcomes their evil. And this is what he said about it. He said, if you spend five minutes with your worst enemy, it doesn't have to be about race, it could be about anything, you will find that you both have something in common, common humanity. As you build upon those commonalities, you're forming a relationship, and as you build about that relationship, you're forming a friendship. That's what would happen. I didn't convert anybody. They saw the light and converted themselves. So he, he just got them to a point where they, they, they couldn't make sense of their own evil, and they, they left the... They left the clan. That's, that's what he has done throughout his life. So what does that mean for you? When people are aggressive toward you, when people hurt you, the way of Jesus is this. Don't strike back, but also don't withdraw from relationship and put up walls. We should speak up and we should challenge their evil. Uh, you know, we shouldn't let people walk all over us. We should say, this is wrong and this, this is very hurtful. But we should also patiently endure it. We should continue to be open to relationship with them, continue to reach out to them, turn to them the other cheek. Is that vulnerable and risky? And absolutely it is. But it's the only way that progress is ever made and evil is ever overcome. How Dr. Keller used to put it uh, is that no matter how we've been harmed by someone or how many, time, how many times we've been harmed by them, we are, the Christian is never ready to close the door on the relationship. That's the way of Jesus. We always leave that door open. We're always able to say that no matter how things are strained, whenever they want to mend the relationship, we're ready for that. We're ready to do that. They've, they may have slapped us on the one cheek, but if they want to, they can give us a kiss on this other one. But that's a vulnerable place to be. They have a second, a third, and a fourth, and even a 77th chance to... Uh, for relationship. Patient endurance. But thirdly, we also have to have a generous endurance. There's one more thing that Jesus mentions, and that is generosity. Uh, Not only do we acknowledge evil and we endure evil, but we also respond to evil with generosity and with blessing in return. Jesus says in verse 40, he says, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, Go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you. Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. In Jesus' time, the cloak was the more important garment. Even a poor person might have several tunics, just like you probably have a, you know, drawers full of t-shirts and, and just shirts you wear every day. And you can afford to lose one, um, but they probably only had one cloak, just in the same way that you might have one nice coat. They probably only had one cloak, which was the heavier outer garment. And Jesus says, if someone is unjustly trying to take your tunic from you, don't let them forcefully take it from you. Don't cling to it. Give it to them and give them more. Give them your cloak as well. And I use this illustration often, but I can't think of a better one. It reminds me of Father Bienvenu in Les Miserables that you know, Jean Valjean stole their silverware and he was arrested and then brought back. And Bienvenu said, no, I, he, didn't, he can't steal it. I gave it as a gift. Oh, and by the way, you forgot the more valuable items, these two candlesticks that are worth far more than anything that you stole. And he gives those as well. In Jesus' day, Israel was an occupied nation. 
and it wasn't unheard of for a Roman soldier to force an Israeli citizen uh, to carry a burden for them and to walk a mile with them. They, were, they would be forced to do that. And so Jesus says, if someone forces you to go one mile with them, don't let them take you by force. They can't take you by force if you already have a posture of generosity, if you're willing to give. Give them your time and your energy and give them more. Go two miles. So here's the point. The only way to overcome evil is to respond to evil with generosity and with blessing. We could think about big picture illustrations of this, like what Daryl Davis does with KKK members or, or like what Martin Luther King did toward his enemies or um, even some persecuted, some of the persecuted church around the world. There's so many stories. Uh, but I do, I want to give a, a more concrete day-to-day illustration uh, to show you that, that this can play out in very little everyday ways as well. So this is just, this has never happened to me or my wife. This is an imaginary scenario. So imagine, she just raised her eyebrows at me. Um, Imagine that you and your spouse get in a fight and you're behaving aggressively toward each other. Um, and we're, you know, we're going to talk about more th- this more next week. But imagine that your spouse for a moment has become your enemy. Your enemy is anyone who's behaving aggressively toward you. It could be anybody. It could be, your friend can become your enemy, an enemy in a moment. They're behaving aggressively toward you. So maybe you're, you know, you're not talking to each other. You're not serving one another because you're mad at each other. And maybe in an act of anger and frustration, your spouse leaves the house a complete mess, goes, you know, goes to hang out with their friends or goes to bed early or something, and you're expected just to take care of everything on your own, take care of the kids, whatever it might be. That's, that's kind of an act of aggression. That's not very fair, small act of aggression. In Jesus' words there, we're being forced to go one mile, being forced to go one mile. So what should we do? In our sinful anger and in our retaliation, I tell you what I would be tempted to do, we would be tempted to respond in kind. I'm just, well, if you're going to leave me to do this, I'm just going to go out with my friends and I'm going, to leave, I'm going to leave you to wake up with all the chores to do and the dishes in the sink. You left me with this, so now I'm going to leave it with you. And then the cycle of aggression continues. But Jesus says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. So what if your angry spouse instead wakes up and finds that the house is clean, the kids were put in bed, oh, and also you swept out their car, and you made them breakfast, and you wrote them a nice little note, and you've got a great attitude about it, and you say, hey, sweetie, I'm so excited to spend the day with you today, when they wake up. You're not mad. You can't force me to be your servant if I willingly choose to be your servant And at that point, I'm playing a different game entirely because I'm not trying to win a conflict. I'm trying to win you. And that's that's the Christian's attitude toward all of their enemies. We're not trying to win a conflict with people because our enemies are not flesh and blood. Our enemies are the dark principalities and the powers and the prince of darkness who has taken captive these people that God loves and that we love. We're playing a different game. We're not trying to win a conflict. We're trying to win them. And that's why we're behaving this way. We're trying to conquer them and to make them our friends. We're trying to overcome them with good. And we can find the power to do that uh, for others only in so far as we see and rest in the fact that this is exactly what Jesus has done for us. 
Jesus says that when we love those who don't love us, when we love our enemies, we're going to read this more next week, that we're imitating our Father in heaven. This is what God does. He does the same thing with his enemies. But just for now, we need to recognize what Isaiah says. Isaiah 50 verse 6, prophesying about Jesus. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. See, Jesus made himself vulnerable, and he didn't have to. He did not resist evil, though he could have, but he was led away like a lamb to the slaughter, and like a lamb, he opened not his mouth. He didn't try to stop what was happening, and though evil was perpetrated against him, he responded with abundant blessing and with generosity. No one took his life from him. No one could take his life from him. He generously laid it down of his own accord, Why? To suffer for the sins of his people so that he would take his would-be enemies and conquer them and turn them into his friends. The story of every Christian who is self-aware, as you get to know yourself and your own story, whether you came to Christ later in life or as a young child, whether you raised in the church, this is your story is that once I was an enemy of God, once I was aggressive toward him, once I ignored him and insulted him, wanted nothing to do with him, turned my back on him. But he didn't treat me like that. He didn't treat me as my sins deserve. He won me over. He conquered me, not by overpowering me, but he conquered me with his love. He went the extra mile for me. And as you get to know the cross of Christ and learn the way of Jesus and learn how to truly overcome the little evils that we face every day, then we grow to resemble him and imitate him and get the opportunity to speak about what he's done for us and for our friends as well. To that end, let us pray.